Welcome to this special edition of Literary Ashland. On November 18th, Friday Wine and Words featured six students from SOU's Honors College. This episode features the next three students who read at this event. Um, we've got three more readers. Uh, Mariah Rowley is a senior majoring in English with a minor in Spanish. She has a number of random interests, um, the most prominent at the moment being rock climbing, writing, and language learning, not all at the same time. <laughs> She's going to read a piece called The Barn. Dante Fumagalli is a senior studying English and art history. He's passionate about education, the arts, and accessibility. And in the summer of 2016, he interned at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Wow. He's going to read a piece called Memory and Moving Forward. Samara Diab is a sophomore studying English and French. She was born in Minnesota, raised in New Mexico, and has found her home here in Ashland. And she's going to read some selected poems. So we'll start with Mariah. Okay, so uh, when we were first discussing my reading this, um, I asked Ed, or Haley asked Ed for me what piece <laughs> he would like me to read, and he told me this one. So we're gonna see what you think. <laughs> yeah, um, it's called The Barn, it's a short story. Um, it was a little tricky getting to the rickety old door. Part of the wall had been knocked down and we had to hop over the crumbling remains. I turned the knob, it didn't feel locked. When I was a young little hoodlum, I would roam the property behind my parents' old house. It was way on the boondocks. I could have literally run around naked and no one would ever know. Not that I did. My mother had already taught me that naked meant sex and sex was icky, gross, yuck, bleh. <laughs> but I'm sure someone ran naked. On the property, there was this rundown, super old barn. I had ventured there a few times, but it gave me the creeps, so I didn't ever go alone. I have found that the unexpected is much easier to deal with when among friends. But there was one door that gave me a particularly, particularly ominous feeling, a door that I hadn't had the need or the guts to open yet. This particular time, I had my best friend Brianne with me. I had met her in the third grade because we were both really good at the playground game Lava Monster. It's basically a tag uh, game where base is anything off the ground. So slide, tree stumps, etc. Brianne and I were quick little brats, always on edge, uh, and we weren't afraid to jump over the monkey bars to get away from our chaser. Well, she wasn't afraid to. I had my reservations. In the middle of the barn, a rope swing hung from the rafters. Usually when I had friends over, we would take turns swinging on it. Looking back, I can't believe we would ever even touch that thing, let alone put our full body weight on it. Every single wall in there was decaying, including the roof, but we were young and bullheaded. This time, after we were done swinging, we decided we were brave enough to investigate the only place we hadn't been in yet. Well, okay, Brianne decided she wanted to look in the room because I didn't know what was in there. The rope swing was usually enough adrenaline uh, for most people I brought with me, but not for Brianne. Like I said, young and bullheaded and nosy. Honestly, the only thing Brianne was afraid of was adulthood. She had gotten her boobs and period earlier. She was in training, a training bra at the age of six and started bleeding when she was just nine. <laughs> So her parents had the birds and the bees conversation with her, and apparently she freaked out. <laughs> I think that's probably why she was so good at Lava Monster. She really didn't want to be anywhere near a boy who was chasing her. 
In the barn, we carefully climbed over the remains of the fallen wall, avoiding jagged, rusty nails. The door wasn't locked, but it was heavy. We heaved it open, creating a loud cloud, creating a cloud of dust inside. Once the dust cleared and the light shone in, we saw nothing, nada. The room was empty and we were slightly devastated. We were so excited to be so brave as to open a creepy door, only to find the room behind it empty. We stepped in anyways, just to make sure there weren't any invisible flying cars. The only thing we could find was a couple of loose floorboards. So we pulled them up. It was our last hope at finding something hidden, something secret. Under the floorboard was, what do you know, dirt. (laughs) But there was something else too, a small sliver of fabric poking out. It looked like it had been quickly buried. Brianne put her finger on it. Wait, I said. I went out and came back in with a stick. Oh, come on, it's just dirt, she said. She took the stick anyways and put it under the piece of fabric and pulled up. Dirt flung everywhere. I don't know what we were expecting. I guess we didn't give ourselves much time to think about it. But when I opened my eyes again, on the end of the stick was a small, dirty lace bra. I stared at it for a second, confused. At 10, I was just starting to wear training bras, which are a bit like really tight tank tops. (laughs) Brianna, on the other hand, was mortified. She flung the bra and the stick back into the hole and screamed, gross. It dawned on me what it was. My brother's bras were not lacy like that, but they had the same shape as the little white thing laying in the dirt. We screamed like the children we were and ran out of the creepy room and closed the door because, oh my gosh, someone had sex in that room. You. <laughs> this is kind of a weird stool. <laughs> So this is an essay I wrote for a class I was in with Ed, actually, uh, and it's about my dad. It doesn't seem like it at first, but it'll get there. (laughs) Last week I couldn't find my keys and I freaked out. I tend to be extremely orderly. I like to know where everything I put is with little to no effort. It's more than just a need for control with me, though. It might be a little bit of that, but there's an element of fear as well. To me, every single time my memory slips, it's a sign of an impending moment. In the summer of 2015, my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's been a frustrating and conflicting time for everyone in my family. I don't think there's another way these stories can pan out. It's not like Alzheimer's suddenly hits anyone. The diagnosis is always slow and unsurprising. My parents divorced when I was in middle school, and after living in a small, sparse apartment across the street from my school for a few years, my father decided to move into a retirement community called Waterford Terrace that was designed for seniors who are mentally and physically capable but need some elementary form of care. They provided meals, they cleaned his room, and gave him a social environment. To him, this was perfect. My brother and I watched sadly as he seemed to fall into a complacency that was not out of necessity but desire. When he first moved to Waterford Terrace, my brother and I visited frequently. About every week, we would eat dinner at his place, or he would take us to the movies. I remember distinctly making the huge mistake of seeing Pineapple Express with him and seeing him cringe for two hours. Slowly, as my brother and I grew up, the visits became less frequent. By the time I graduated high school, I was only visiting him monthly. It was around this time that I actually wrote the essay, or one of the essays that got me into the Honors College at SAU about that guilt that I was feeling, and so if it hadn't been for his condition, I might not be here. (laughs) 
It's ironic that the worse my father's memory gets, the only thing I have left of him are those memories. But the ones that stand out clearest are those of degradation and of slowly fading. It's hard for me to think of my father outside of the context of Alzheimer's, as it has become such an integral part of our interactions. After my father's diagnosis, it hit me that I could be likely to develop this degenerative condition myself. My father has been moved to a new care facility that focuses primarily on memory care, and none of it has been easy. Care is always going to be difficult and expensive. And now our visits are less frequent than ever. My father now lives in a small room that he shares with a man named Frank, who I've never heard speak, in a community called Plaza Village. The experience is much sadder than Waterford Terrace was. These types of memory care facilities can feel dehumanizing. Everyone seems to walk around in a glaze. But he's still human after all. He still has his pictures of Italy up on his wall, and he loves dessert more than anything else. <laughs> Since he's moved, I only get around to seeing him once every time I come home from school. It's only happened three times. Every time I've seen him, there have been moments where he has panicked, worrying about when he will be able to return to Waterford Terrace. One of the saddest parts about Alzheimer's care is that you learn how to become a very good liar. The last time we visited, my father tried to follow us out so he could speak to the manager of Plaza Village when he could about when he could return to Waterford Terrace. The caretakers had to convince him that the manager would come to visit him later, fully aware that this would never happen. I was silent the whole time. I'm still learning how to reconcile how that experience actually helps him. Alzheimer's care at times feels like a futile prolonging of life at the expense of humanity. I've tried to research the condition and write about it, clearly. This summer, I helped facilitate a program at the Museum of Modern Art for people with dementia and memory loss, which impacted me immensely. One gentleman there was silent through most of the program, but when we approached a Roy Lichtenstein painting, he lit up and told us stories of going to school with Lichtenstein. It was really beautiful. This year, I'm hoping to bring similar programming to the Schneider Museum of Art in Ashland, and I hope to continue being involved in arts programming for this underserved population. My hope is to bring some humanity back into those lived experiences of folks like my father. He may be losing his memory, but that doesn't mean he can't keep moving forward. Sorry, I forgot my glasses. <laughs> A swim in Crater Lake. If I slide down sandy terracotta hills, lightly laced with purple and gray, will you catch me? Are your depths deep enough? My overripe raspberry soul has gone too long without harvest, and my swirling thumbprint bleeds with the sugary succulents of my spirit. Will your blue wash away the red stains of soul and pulse? Will my presence make turquoise become indigo? Unlike the braille of my body, your surface is vast, and I must carry questions in my lungs. I breathe them in and barely dare to speak, strangled by these full-bodied uncertainties. Falling now, in dusty descent, I ask you, when I surrender to the seductive qualities of azure, will I remember the motions of everything? Will I drown? And so that one, I don't like to... <laughs> I don't 
would like to introduce before I read it because I'm a synesthete and for me being a synesthete means that the boundaries between my senses are blurred and so I often interpret or experience words and sensations and memories as colors, textures, smells, and tastes. Mm -hmm. And so this is about a trip to Crater Lake. Um, and a conversation I overheard a group of 15-year-old boys having and watching how that experience kind of transformed itself through color and texture into something much deeper. And do you feel that this is a positive in your art? Yes, definitely, yes. I mean, I don't know life without it either. Okay. So. Mm -hmm. okay. And then this next piece was written um, at Crater Lake as well. And instead of being inspired by the conversations of human beings around me, I was inspired by the conversations that my feet were having with the earth below me and the sounds of the forest speaking. While walking. With solitary, self-contained pride, the pine cones hold desperately to their mathematical patterns as proof of a perfect world. The spines retain spiraled motion, but wooden auburn eyelids are now lost. A cascade of skeletons upturned and uprooted. The solemn spines contemplate their own forms as they twist inward. Alone in the forest, the pine cones die, no one to mourn dry, curled bodies. With a crunch, I bury them. And this next piece is kind of about my relationship with a particular word and a particular memory. Um, growing up in New Mexico, there were a lot of ristras. And for those of you who don't know what they are, they're like bouquets of dried red chilies that hang from the rafters, that hang from the ceilings, and they're very beautiful. And so this is kind of my interpretation of that word. Ristra. Red glistens like sweating plastic and coarse gold rope sprouts from the top in an excited frenzy. A braided twist rises to the rafters, and the rope rubbing against wood whispers ristra. A warm, rounded R followed by a hiss that is cut short by the click of a T. A rolling R with a Spanish flare widens into a gaping A, which slowly closes in the straight line of an S. The letters shape the word into a smooth, waxy string of crinkled crimson. I am learning to form new sounds that force my tongue in unfamiliar directions. My mouth mimics the cluster of color and I am speaking the language of rope, wood, and wind. My lips move in the shape of the chilies starting small and then broadening with confidence. Ristra. The sound of its syllables remind me of home, the shadow of scarlet hanging by the front door. to read because I've kind of done a transition backwards in time with my relationship with words and I thought since this is all about words I'm going to read something that shows kind of my relationship with words from the very beginning and it's a story I wrote as a seven-year-old girl laying down on the floor with my notebook um, in my home in Albuquerque determined to write a series of best-selling novels about a girl <laughs> named Eleanor with a very loud personality and I thought it would be a whimsical end to the evening. <laughs> At Penny's Pantry, I always order chicken nuggets with lots and lots and lots and lots of fries. I can't stand the lettuce, pickles, and tomatoes, so I try to tell them not to give me any, but Mom makes me. <laughs> I always drop them on the floor so I don't have to eat them anyways. <laughs> After we ordered, I'd pull my new toys out of my bag and slam them on the table. Mom, I said, what should I name him? I don't know. I looked at my teddy bear, trying to decide what to name him. 
I listened in on other people's conversations because everyone knows those are where the best words are hidden. <laughs> then I heard it. Someone had just ordered a Reuben sandwich. Reuben, I jumped up and yelled. Get down and be quiet, Eleanor, Mom said. <laughs> so I did. And then I leaned in real close and whispered, his name is Reuben. Thank you. <laughs> And maybe we can get all the students to come up to the front um, and take a couple of questions and provide some answers. Yeah. Anybody? Questions? Just, uh, I hate to uh, bring my ignorance to light, but in the, the first piece, in my world. Oh, oh, it's called My Old Ways. Yeah, my, my Old, my old yeah. Ways. Okay. Uh, the song that inspired that. Yeah. Uh, who did that? Um, it's by a band called Doctor Dog. Doctor Dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, you know. Sorry, hipster stoner music. It. <laughs> it's, it's a really great song. <laughs> but I yeah. Doctor Dog. Doctor Dog. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good song. I think it's. I think what's my favorite line? It's um. I, I, it's it's about like how he doesn't want to go back to like the things that he's been doing before. Like my, I don't want to go back to my old ways. Um, he says something like, "I wait around and now it's yesterday," um, and I just thought that's really cool. I don't know. They're a great band. I recommend them. It's scream out. Doctor Dog doesn't teach at SOU. <laughs> oh my God. For the seniors. So what's up? <laughs> I mean the same, not us. Oh. <laughs> um, for me, I'm applying to grad schools right now, I'm applying to a bunch of schools in New York for art history, and then uh, also applying to uh, some internship programs in New York as well. I thought that that would be the best place to get experience in art history. So, <laughs> what's your number one preference for grad school? I really want to go to Pratt or Columbia. Those are my top two. And are you in this coaster? <laughs> I'm from the West Coast. I'm from San Diego, but I spent the summer in New York, and it's just I realized that that's like the land of opportunity in the arts administration. <laughs> Your high school in San Diego? Yeah. Your the name? Oh, Patrick Henry. Oh, I know Patrick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Should all the seniors answer? She also has a question too. Mm -hmm. Um. I just wanted to throw that out there so she can get lost. Um, yeah, uh, I'm also a senior. I'm planning on going to SOU for grad school, staying in um, for the MAT program, which is Master's of Arts in Teaching, because uh, I want to teach high school English. So, good. Thanks. That's great. Cake will come in hand. Hopefully. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> students. Did you have a whole list of terms you had to fit into that? No, it was just as many from the class as I could. Mariah is also a senior. Yes, I'm also a senior. Um, I'm planning on interning somewhere in an elementary school in Ashland. Or I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. I'm planning on interning uh, for speech pathology um, in okay. Ashland somewhere. And you're from around here? Portland. Portland? Yeah. Did you Just a question for the barn story. Yes. So your reading of that was kind of flat and a little bit abrupt and discordant. Was that deliberate or is that a speech pattern that you have? <laughs> <laughs> it worked perfectly. Yeah, I thought it worked. But, um, 
yeah, I don't usually do this. <laughs> Good job. I will say she asks very animated questions in class. <laughs> And would you would you go into just a little more detail of the condition you described? Then say the word again. The the the, the thing where you work, the, what your relation to work. Oh, this is me. Oh, this is me. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so I'm a synesthete. So I have synesthesia. Um, can you spell? I mean, I know you I don't, can. Will you spell? I don't. I'm a really bad speller. Okay. Yes, it starts with an S, and there's a Y in there. Go ahead. So what it is, and I've read a little bit about it, and mostly it's very common in women who are very, very creative. Um, so my mother had it. My grandmother on my father's side had it. Are you a witch? Maybe. You're a witch. And so um, it's just interpreting the world around you um, with different senses. So my mother will very strongly, she'll smell the TV. Like, not like smell, but like she'll be watching um, a movie or something, and she'll remember it based on a smell. Or that's how it'll trigger. And so for me, I see people as colors and textures, and that's how I remember people. Um, and then I have memories that are very strongly, um, I do a lot of color and texture rather than taste and smell. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, and I can spell it for you after class. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure who is first, so go with I really liked all of your writing, and I want to ask all six of you, what is your plans for the future with your writing? From left to right, let's start, well, let's start over there. <laughs> um, in terms of writing, uh, I really like like I said, I want to go into school for art history, and I really want to just keep writing about visual arts. It's something that's always interested me. Uh, English has helped me become a better writer in that field, so I really just want to keep doing that in the future. Excellent. Um, over the next uh, however many years I'll be here, I, I plan on um, just gathering a larger collection of poetry, maybe some short stories. I usually do this for personal enrichment and kind of finding myself um, so, yeah, I like to share it with people every once in a while, like tonight, but um, I, I like to do it for personal enrichment. <coughs> so do you Wait, there's still going there. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead. Oh. Before you forget, go ahead. Okay. Um... I still have to work on my songwriting um, experience. I'm, it just is more natural to me to write poetry, but I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> um, I actually didn't like writing until about a year and a half ago when I had a professor who made me write 30 papers, I counted, in one term. Um, Margaret Perrow. Um, <laughs> God bless her. She made me like writing. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I want to teach, so there probably won't be, like, you know, any aspiration to write a novel or anything down the line or anything like that. I kind of just am going to write the bare minimum uh, to, like, help my students along, which will still be a lot. So I figure that'll be fine. 
Um, for me, writing has always been a very integral part of my life, and I'm kind of in the same boat as Cole. It's um, very much a personal enrichment piece. I'm also super obsessed with language, um, studying language, and I'm in Dr. Battistella's linguistics class and loving it. So it's kind of just melding itself into my life, and I kind of live and breathe this word, words and language, which I'm very happy about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I It's been a really long time since I've actually, like, uh, creatively written. And I know, like, in the past, I've definitely used, like, journaling to, like, you know, deal with problems that I was having and stuff like that. But as far as, like, the future goes, I mean, I'd like to continue. It's, uh, I don't know, it's something I do in, like, bursts, and then I just stop. And then I do it, you know, so it's, it's kind of hard for me to, like, balance the two, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh... In terms of the future, I'm not really sure other than I, I've journaled since I was in fourth grade. Um, so I use writing as an outlet more so than anything else, but um, I enjoy short stories. I would really, really, if I'm being really ambitious, love to write a book one day. But um, yeah, that takes a lot of work and it's very, very hard. Did <laughs> you? Well, I wanted to know when each of you started writing, when you remember started starting to write. Fourth grade. Fourth grade, okay. Yep. Oh my god. I don't even know. Probably probably around elementary school. I mean, not like long stuff, but like I vaguely remember journaling in my angsty like middle school years too. I definitely like remember some stuff from there, but... <laughs> uh, my night, it was, it was that story that I started writing when I was yeah. seven. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to dictate books to my mom before I knew how to write. <laughs> and I would illustrate them. My favorite is called Two Headed Dogs and Cats, which was inspired by Cat Dog. On the <laughs> so, Related to Doctor Dog? <laughs> I wish. First cousins. I started writing seriously about a year or two ago. So. Like, well, I started kind of late. I didn't start till like, sophomore year of high school. I remember writing, like, a really, really bad poem about, <laughs> I don't even know. I was trying to read, like, complex things and trying to copy it, and it was horrible. I have a comment and then a question. First of all, writing is a gift. No matter, no matter what profession you end up going into, the, the writing will really help you. Uh, but I have a question for you about the um, program for Alzheimer's and the visual arts. Um, because we have a very dear friend who has early onset Alzheimer's, and she's an art teacher. And I just, I'm wondering, are there other programs around? I'm not aware of any in the area, but I know that a lot of different museums have been following the model that MoMA set up. And it's basically based on an inquiry-based model just like a lot of museum education, but it's much yeah. slower. It's much more about having the viewer talk to you. It really doesn't matter about what you're sending out. It's just getting them to talk yeah. and getting them to look at the paintings closely. Yeah, just and it sounds it's just, like a wonderful program. Yeah, it, it was really, it changed a lot for me when I saw that program happen. So I'm really hoping that this works out too. <laughs> okay, yeah. Are you going to try to work something out with Schneider before you leave? Yeah, I work there. I've been working there since my freshman year. Well, so. I mean, on this, in this regard, in this aspect. Yeah, that's the idea. I'm hoping to do that. I'm mm -hmm. hopefully starting winter. But yeah. It's yeah. Great. Great. I see. Yeah, this is a question for one or two of you. 
would you would you have been able to write the essay or the short story before you took this the class before you got into the program so I'm trying to understand how the program has really helped you develop your writing You mean the English program specifically? Or the, the, or the honors, honors College? The Honors College. I think, yeah, I think both uh, really have influenced me personally, um, just by forcing you to write a lot and a lot of different uh, purposes and a lot of different um, audiences. Um, so you're writing a bunch of different styles of things and it forces you to try out new ways of creating uh, work. And I think also the community is very important because you're surrounded by a community of people who are really motivated, who are really have all these wonderful, unique talents. And so then you're a lot more inspired because you develop these close relationships with people and you feel comfortable sharing and expressing. So it's a really great community to kind of nurture um, what you love. Yeah, yeah honestly, I kind of doubt I would have had the confidence to, to do this were it not for like the support of everyone, you know, because I've, I've never done this before, but like, yeah, I just, I think honestly, the Honors College, like it's provided me a lot of academic um, things, um, like skills, but like personally for me, like the biggest impact has been like socially, you know, just like the community that I have and that kind of thing, it's really important. Thank you.